Hello, and quickly, this is just before the Ellie Oldroyd interview. I'm with Dom here, and we just want to say a quick thank you to, to URN. We've just had the awards night last night. Both myself and Dom are feeling a bit worse for wear after, after the night. And it was great fun. We, we were lucky enough to win best feature for the URN Super Over to all our guests, which we were, we were hugely excited about and got bronze in the social, social media and in best podcast. So huge thank Thank you to all of URN and I mean James in particular has yeah, been yeah. so helpful. Yeah, and we've just done this interview with Ellie. It's a great interview, so do enjoy it. We won't keep you for long. Like like Toby just said, thanks to everyone who put who gave us those awards. We really do appreciate it. This is being our first year, and we've loved every minute of it. It's fair to say, and I've only met Toby once. But we've had a great laugh and. Look at us now. We're going to um, cricket in the summer, both driving all the way back to Nottingham. So it, it, it's really been a true delight to have. And we've been so lucky. If you guys have any ideas of what you want to see us do, there's a lot of things in the bag. Toby briefly goes, uh, briefly talks about it in the outro. But I'll just say, Ellie Oldroyd, what a lovely human being. It is a delight to talk to her. You can just tell probably at the start how sort of starstruck we are. And it is just a great um excuse this this is given as an excuse to talk to people i've always wanted to talk to but and we get to pretend like it's work and this was absolutely sensational thank you so much for listening and enjoy the show i mean toby will be with you i'm gonna say tuesday uh we'll probably get tuesday there might be a poll out but yeah thanks again cheers And welcome to a royal episode of Sticky Wickets. Toby and I are here, but we're joined by the first lady of Fighting Talk, the queen of tailenders and the god of BBC Sports coverage. Please be upstanding for Eleanor Oldroyd. That, how are you? It's well, so thank you very much. I'm I'm overwhelmed and delighted and very, very happy to be with you. And I'm now going to give you a regal wave as well, <laughs> just to prove it. So good to have you here. We're, I mean, me and Dom are so excited to have you on, Ellie. It feels quite weird talking to talk to a voice that that we've heard, like some of our listeners have, just on the radio, on podcasts, on on everything basically, um, and and it kind of feels a bit bit weird, almost talking to an old friend. Just the voice has been so heard so often. But um, to start with, as a tradition on the podcast, we we get all our guests to take part in our award winning URN <laughs> Super Over. It's a series of quick fire questions uh, for all our guests to answer. So you ready, Ellie? I am more than ready. Perfect. So first question, which athlete from any other sport would you like to see play cricket? Uh, I think I would like to have seen Thierry Henry play cricket. He was my one of my all-time favourite Arsenal players. Um, and you just think he was so naturally talented. He could do anything with a ball. So who's to say he couldn't do anything with a cricket, bo- cricket ball or a cricket bat? I'm not quite sure whether I would want him to bat, bowl, or just be, you know, supreme all-rounder. <laughs> I think he'd have a va-va-voom about him wherever he played on the cricket pitch. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. A Lord's Test Fifer or a Lord's Test 100? 
I don't know, you know, yeah, the honours board. I mean, it's it's so far out of reach <laughs> for me in any sense whatsoever, at any stage in my career, because I could, it was hopeless at sport at school. I think it's going to have to be 100, mm. I reckon. Right. In in my imaginary cricketing career, which never existed then, <laughs> and I'm prob- I would probably have been a batter rather than a bowler. Oh, very nice. Number three, what has been your favourite match you've seen live or on TV? Well, um, it's that's a really, really hard one, actually, because I, I think that if you think of the some of the, probably the three greatest moments for England cricket fans of the last 20 years. So Ashes win in 2005 at the Oval. I was there. I was extremely drunk. <laughs> I was not working, in case you ask. Um, then World Cup final in 2019. Of course, you know, they're working. Couldn't believe it. Could not believe my eyes. Also, Women's World Cup final in 2017. I was there for that as well. Again, drinking, not working. <laughs> and then uh, Ben Stokes, Headingley 2019, working, not able to take in what was happening, having started the day saying, England haven't got hope in hell of winning this. Um, and then then they did. So I don't know which one of those would, those four would I pick. Um, I think for alcohol levels alone, <laughs> the 2005 Ashes. <laughs> Oh, that's 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 great to know that Eleanor Aldred was on the on the lash for that oh, 2005 ashes. Serious amounts of Australian Chardonnay drunk that afternoon. <laughs> um, I think I might know where this might be going. What are three essentials of a cricket tea? Three essentials of a cricket tea: scone, jam, cream. And I'm not going to go into the order because, <laughs> I, you know, there's enough division in the world at the moment. We don't need more. <laughs> Oh, that is that is amazing. So if you were to walk out to bat for England, what song would you want to walk out to? Um, I suppose, well, if you kind of go back to the early days of, of Fighting Talk when I was, you know, the first lady of Fighting Talk, then it would be Tom Jones, She's a Lady. <laughs> if, that would, if that would work, do you think that would work? I think that would have a great atmosphere at Edgbaston on finals day, strolling out to bat with Tom Jones in the background. I, I can't think of anything more dramatic. It just absolutely going mad. Yeah. Last question. Would you rather be at a test match at Lords in the Pavilion or in the Holly Standard for finals day? I've got to say test match at Lords for, for, in the Pavilion, I, you know, for, for a whole, whole range of reasons. You know, it's one of my it's my special place. I think, actually, there's there's a point on the spot on the top tier in the pavilion at Lords, where I've sat on many occasions. And actually, it's usually for a county game because, you know, it's a test match. I mean, in recent years, I've mostly been working at test matches. But um, but yeah, that would be that that is the place where I kind of go and I feel totally at peace with the world. And uh, and yeah, sitting there with my with my headphones in listening to if I could work on the test match and also be on the top deck of the pavilion listening to it on TMS then I would do that. If I could kind of create an, an avatar and split myself from <laughs> one end of the ground to the other, then I would do that. So yeah, no, Lord's Pavilion test match any day of the week. That's quite a surreal, um, serene sort of image you've put in mm. all our minds. And it's, it does make you want to be at Lord's so much, especially mm. after the year we've had. Well, we're going to start with the basic question, Ellie. How did you get into cricket? I think I got into cricket really because I hated it when I was about 13, when I was growing up. Um, I suppose I didn't hate it, but I just didn't get it. That's the, that was the thing about it. You know, it was a, the sort of household, you know, the, the family uh, that I grew up with were obsessed with sport, 
you know, all year round. Um, so my dad, my brothers, um, my mum as well. My mum's a big cricket fan, actually. She used to go to Lords when she was at school in London, you know, in the 1940s. But um, but so, so so sport was on the TV all the time. Um, some of my earliest memories are, are of early Olympic Games. So, you know, so I think probably the... I mean, this, this makes me, you'll realize how incredibly old I am when I tell you that I can remember the 1968 Olympic Games, just watching it on the TV and just being aware of it. You know, nothing, nothing more specific than that. Um, but, but then I, you know, cricket was the big obsession, was, was, was my dad's big obsession. So it was on all the time and I just didn't get what was, what was going on. It's like anything you don't understand. You're a bit scared of it probably, or, or you just think, oh, no, I don't want, I'm, I'm blocking this out. I don't want to take this on board. And then I reached the point, I suppose, when I was about 14, when I just thought, I'm not going to get rid of this. This is part of family life. And the best thing to do is to try and <clears throat> find out a bit about it. So I sat down with my dad over, the, over a summer, summer of, summer of 1976, which was when the West Indies were over here, you know, and it was that unbelievable West Indian team. So, you know, Viv Richards, Clive Lloyd, Michael Holding, Andy Roberts, just ripped England apart. And, and so I just became pretty obsessed with cricket that year actually and from that point onwards I just kind of flipped from one to the other so from hating it not understanding it to totally being mad about it and putting posters up and making scrapbooks and listening to everything and reading everything I could about the game so so that was um, that was a real you know real turning point for me so from that point onwards really um, and and that was the stage I think where I thought if I can find somebody who will pay me to watch cricket all day doesn't matter what it is you know I'll go and work as a groundsman, I mean, although there were probably just as few female groundsmen as there were female sports writers at that time, uh, I thought that will be the job for me. Yes, fantastic to hear. So um, a lot of people listening are from URN, like Dom and myself, and um, with many from the sports department looking to go into careers in sports broadcasting and, and journalism. So how did, how did you get into, into sports broadcasting and what tips might you have for some of some of us at URN looking to go into the, to the field of work. Well, I, I, when I went to uni, I mean, I was lucky. I went to I went to Cambridge University, and that had had a very good sports tradition at the, at the time, or a sports journalism tradition. So I had a student newspaper, um, which I managed to blag my way onto in my first year, um, covering hockey actually initially, um, and uh, then in my second year, I became sports editor of of stop press as it was then and and because i was the editor i could just choose whatever i wanted to do so i decided said yeah forget the hockey you know love you boys but you know it's got to be cricket all the way from now on and one of the first the first proper interview i ever did was with david gower who was playing for leicestershire at the time just before he became england captain and you know he just happened to be at finners playing the university team and um and it poured with rain one day uh, and so I just went up and sort of said, sorry, Mr. Gowan, any chance that I can have a chat with you for, for our student newspaper? And he said, yes. And he was, of course, lovely and charming as he still is. Um, and, and so that was, that was my way in, really. So I just, I did lots and lots of writing. Um, broadcasting wasn't really on the, you know, on, on my radar at that stage, because there wasn't really a proper university station, because, you know, the days before the internet, you had to have, obviously, a broadcasting license. And there wasn't such a, you know, and, and Cambridge, is, Cambridge is too big, actually. It's just, that's the problem. There's colleges are all spread out all over the place. Um, and so I, so I did, a, a friend of mine had a programme, so I went on his programme one day, and that was the first time I ever sat in front of a microphone, probably. Um, but then when I graduated, 
couldn't get a job working in written paper, written press, you know, and eventually went and did work experience at my local radio station in Worcester. And my um, editor at the time, you know, I went to him and said, I want to, um, I want to, to do cricket. And he said, yeah, of course, fine, no problem. So it was actually as easy as that. <laughs> so, um, but I was very lucky because, you know, he didn't think there was anything at all weird in a woman doing sports journalism or cricket. So, so thank you to him. And, and that was, that was it. So started off reporting on county championship, um, you know, one day, one day games at, at New Road in Worcester, which is one of the most beautiful spots in, in the country to watch cricket. Wow, fantastic. I know me and Don both want to sort of almost follow in those footsteps and try and mm. try and get on, on the shows like you have. Yeah, been there's on... a certain amount of luck. You know, there's, there, is, there is definitely luck in it. You know, there's, there's determination. There is being kind of quite focused and single-minded about it, but there's also that element of being in the right place at the right time. So, so yeah, um, but, but you've, you've, I think you've got to be, you've got to kind of believe in yourself. You've got to back yourself quite a lot and, you know, and do what you're doing. Yeah, no, I think that's that's good to hear that we're we're hopefully on on the right route. You've been a commentator on Test Match Special, a skill many people think they can do, but to do it to a high standard is incredibly difficult. How difficult is well, it to commentate, and, and how much preparation do you need to do before the matches? I, I would, I, I kind of, I kind of want to, to correct you slightly, Toby, because commentary is is something that I've not done a great deal of actually on, on on TMS I've done quite a lot of reporting I've done interviewing and inevitably when I'm doing the update you know the, the update role on Radio 5 Live then there is there's some commentary elements in that but but to sit down and you know and, and the cricket social as well which I've done recently as well so again there's little bits of commentary in there but I mean I have huge admiration for people like Ali Mitchell and Isha Guha um, and and you know Ebony Rainford Brent who have come into the who are the new generation if you like of or Ali kind of crosses over from there you know she's a slightly middle generation um, but she's she's you know a few years younger than me because when I was started out as a reporter commentary seemed like such I mean not a taboo thing that's not the right thing to say but it just felt like something that that women were really judged on you know that that people would accept a woman presenter or a woman reporter but there was this idea that female voices get too high in commentary that they become squeaky and that's uncomfortable to listen to so the first women who started out so people like Ali and Jackie Oatley on football got it got it in the neck I mean there's no two no two ways about it they were really badly trolled because the criticism wasn't fair but they were trolled for, for being women daring to commentate. So I think at the time that I was starting out, commentary seemed a scary thing. Um, and, and now it's sort of reached the stage where, where more women do it. And so actually, and in fact, I commentated on ice hockey when I was at, in local radio, um, which is actually much harder to commentate on, I think, <laughs> probably than cricket, because it goes so fast. And I've done bits of TV commentary as well at the Olympics. But, um, but, but cricket commentary is, is something that I, I think the standard is so high and you've got to be so brilliant at it um that that um you know it's it's something that I'm still a little bit a little bit nervous of doing because I don't want to mess up you know and we all get scared of messing up at different times and none of us should be embarrassed about messing up but but certainly in the early stages of my career and and you know until well until now actually you know even now it's it's fine to be a woman broadcaster or journalist but if you mess up if you make a mistake, if you ask difficult questions, if you say something that might be seen as something that could be criticised, 
thinking of, you know, Alex Hartley and Rory Burns, you know, people leap down your throat. People just judge women in a, in a different way, even now. Um, and so, I mean, I, I, I'm just, that, that's kind of quite a slightly deep and off, off tangent answer to the question that you asked, Toby. But I think that's that sort of explains really why it's it still feels like, you know, a more welcoming place for women, but still not it's not a level playing field at the moment. And I think there's been a lot of conversations about men in society in the past two days with the horrific news. And I think it is men's duty almost now to be better. You can't just not be the problem. You've got to help solve the problem. And that goes even into cricket, whether that be people criticising women's cricket. We've all seen it on the BBC where under in the comments, people will be saying, oh, I don't want to watch this. The standard's too low. You've, I think a lot of men who like cricket have got to go, no, this is very high standard cricket. I'd like to see you face Elise Perry. Mm. I'd like to see you take catches like Sarah Taylor because that is the pinnacle of sport. Like mm. I've said this so many times, the Sarah Taylor catch is the greatest catch of all time in any sport due to the reaction time, due to the difficulty, due to all every variable that goes into that pitch. And to see it not get quite the recognition the Odell Beckham catch gets, but maybe that's because of the American media and all that. But it's so sad to see. And we've got an interview coming out with the University of Nottingham ladies cricket team where we discuss matters like this. And me and Toby will hopefully keep talking about women's cricket because it's getting to a state where it is becoming men's and women's cricket are so equal in mm. coverage. And yes, it's not there at the moment, but in a few years, it, I, I genuinely believe it will happen. And it's good to hear, Ellie, you talking about it from such a knowledgeable standpoint. And we really do appreciate it. Yeah. Well, I think you make you make a really good point, actually. And the progress that, that women's cricket and women's sport in general has made has been massive from, you know, in the, in the last 10 years, you know, even even the last five years, really. Um, and it's not it's not at that stage yet. But the reaction, it was very, very interesting. So, you know, so the, the, the um, Alex Hartley, Rory Burns, I'm not even going to call it a spat on Twitter and, you know, and, and I can, you know, I understand, you know, Alex said herself that it was a clumsy tweet and I'm sure that they will have dealt with it between them, but it was that bringing down of the wrath of men's cricket Twitter on Alex's head that was so difficult to see. And, and what is so powerful actually is what, you know, when you talk about what, what you're doing, you know, the fact that actually you can, Elise Perry and Meg Lanning and Sarah Taylor and, you know, Tammy Beaumont are all household names. If you're a cricket fan, you should know who these people are. And, and one of my favourite podcasts, I mean, clearly, I hopefully we'll talk about Tailenders at some point because I know you're big fans. But one of my other favourite podcasts is the Final Word podcast with, um, with uh, Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins. And one of the things that's so powerful about that is that they spent a lot of time talking about women's cricket. You know, and obviously, I mean, they're both Aussies and, and they... The Aussie women, the Australian women's team has been supreme for many, many years. But for them, there is no difference. You know that they will talk about women's women's tours and women's the state of women's cricket and heroic performances by female cricketers in exactly the same way as they do the men's game. And 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 one of the great moments for me, you mentioned Sarah Taylor, was when Adam Gilchrist said that she was the best wicketkeeper in the world. Mm. Bar none. You know, not best female wicketkeeper, mm. best wicketkeeper. In the world, and you, know, you just need to look at look at some of her great stumpings, and you think, I mean, my goodness me, that woman had quick hands. Mm. Um, it's a shame that her her career, you know, finished when it did, but she's an amazing amazing role model. Yeah, she really is an amazing role model for just wicketkeepers, but also for men and women growing up. Mm. You want to go 
into cricket due to the amount of work she's had to do. And it's such a shame she didn't get this uh, post-2017 World Cup uh, enjoyment of women's cricket, notoriety of women's cricket. And that I'd, I'd say there's a lot of women like R- Rachel Hayhoe Flint. Um, she didn't quite get that recognition she deserves. And she had the, sorry, uh, not sorry, the county championship named after her last year. And it's getting there, but we've got to do a lot of uh, strides towards equality, it's fair to say. DJ! This is URN University Radio Nottingham. Now, moving on to a bit of a lighter topic, you were in Old Trafford and the Rose Bowl on lockdown this mm-hmm. summer. Being stuck with tough as naggers for 24-7, was that like a strange cricketing holiday or was that a madhouse? I, I was so interested to know because I heard stories of takeaway nights. I heard stories of all sorts of hijinks. And I'd really like to know what was it like in there? Well, my time in the bubble was made considerably easier by the fact that I didn't have a room next door to Aggers. So I didn't <laughs> have to put up with his uh, terrible banjo playing at all hours. <laughs> he drove people up the wall with his blooming banjo. And then Henry Moran, you know, who I love dearly, um, suggested to him that actually what he needed was an amplifier. So <laughs> Aggers got an amp for his banjo lately. And so, and, and at that point, I think, you know, I'm, I'm amazed that he did not get thrown out of the bubble at that point, because that was just deeply shocking and awful. Um, no, it was fun. I mean, it was it was, you know, it was stressful at times. It was weird. I mean, weird beyond belief because you were obviously having social distancing. So, you know, even though we were working together, so I was in, in the five live box with Henry a lot of the time. But but at a distance so you know so he was at one back at the back of the box I was at the front of the box in the TMS box itself for the commentary they had perspex screens set up in between um between the different commentary positions um we were being tested once a week um and that's not fun for anybody as you know um and and we were having to live really quite a restricted life at the time when things were relaxing during the summer we were still stuck in those in those very constricted bubbles but I mean honestly it was so worth it because the chance to watch real life cricket and really good quality cricket as well you know we saw some amazing moments you know like like Stuart Broad's 500th wicket and Jimmy's 600th and um, that amazing partnership do you remember with with Joss Butler and Chris Wokes as well at Old Trafford that was absolutely fantastic Um, and and it was just you know having spent so many months of broadcasting from home it was brilliant to be actually in a commentary box watching real live sport in front of your eyes. Um, so I wouldn't have swapped it for anything. Um, and I think hopefully this summer, I've just been talking about it in the last couple of days, actually. Um, the plan is that, that we'll have pretty much a normal summer when it, term- it comes to games happening. And with and fingers, fi- everything, everything crossed, crowds in as well. And that that's some, that's the thing that we missed most of all, I think. You know, you, you remember when when Stokesy and and Joss opened the the, the you know opened the, the batting. Um, it was against West. It was I can't remember it was against West Indies or Pakistan now actually now, but it was um, at, at Old Trafford. And you just could just imagine the roar of the crowd and the the point would have been going mad and the temporary stand would have been full <laughs> of people making you know beer snakes and just uh, it's it it's just. I mean, when you talk about the, the, the Holly stand erupting on finals day, that just sends a tingle down my spine because, you know, how, however much we love watching cricket, it's not the same without the fans in. So it, it was fun, apart from Aga's terrible banjo playing. It was it was a, a lot of fun. 
Yeah, it's good to hear that that hopefully in the in the next coming year things will become more normal. And I know myself and Don, we have tickets for the second day of the test match at Trent Bridge. Um, Brilliant. I'll see you there. Yeah. <laughs> and so hopefully we'll be able to go and, and it will be back to the the way that cricket should be with, with 20,000 fans all watching on and we can see the greatest moments live, hopefully. Um, so you've travelled the world uh, broadcasting and presenting. And so what are some of the places, the best places you've you've had the pleasure of visiting? There have been any nightmares as well, perhaps, which, which aren't as good? <laughs> uh, well, it won't surprise you to hear that, that my best trip was for the Ashes in 2017-18 because I'd wanted to go to an overseas Ashes for so long, you know, my whole life. And I'd wanted to go to the Adelaide Oval my whole life as well. You know, it was one of my absolute bucket list places. Um, so that was incredible. And I pinched myself every day. And I only did the first two tests. So when I came back, you know, and I had to fly back from Adelaide after two test matches, I was so miserable and depressed you know and leaving beautiful sun sunny south australia and flying back to snow in december in london was just grim um but that but apart from that i mean the olympics has been my big thing and and i've done every summer olympics since 1992 now and hopefully we're working on on tokyo if it goes ahead although whether there or here we're, we're really not sure at the moment there's lots still up for discussion but but the you know the best times have been I mean every Olympics has had its great moments and Sydney of course was one of my favorites London I absolutely loved so you know so it was my favorite Olympics even though it was my home home city and probably because it was in my home city because I knew how much it was going to mean to people and how people were going to engage and fall in love with watching taekwondo or weightlifting or water polo or random sports they knew nothing about um but but Every, every Olympics, even, even the ones which have been hard work and we haven't won any medals. Um, so it's, hard, it's actually, you know, for your generation, it's probably hard, you, you won't, won't remember this, but, but in Atlanta in 1996, we won one gold medal. Team GB won one gold medal. And so day after day after day, you'd be reporting on glorious British failure. <laughs> and then suddenly it all turned around with the national lottery. And so from 2000 onwards, and then, you know, 2004 and, and, and moving on and more and more success year after year. So there have been amazing moments. But every single Olympics, you get tired, you know, because it's a long, it's quite a long haul. It's three weeks somewhere overseas. Everyone gets a bit mentally stressed. Um, there's always a point where somebody's in tears, you know, and it's quite often me. Um, I, got, I got a really, really bad throat infection in Rio in 2016 and had to take myself off air in the middle of a program. So I was in the Olympic Park, just kind of broadcasting away about the shooting and you got swimming heats this morning and later on it's the cycling. And then all of a sudden I couldn't speak. And so I had to hand, hand the radio microphone over to Connor McNamara, who was with us in the park. And he had said, look, Connor, you're gonna to have to carry on. Um, and then I went and had to, you know, I mean, in, in a kind of strange echo of what a lot of us have been through this year, I then had to self-isolate in my room for, all of two days um, and it, that felt hard but yeah that was that was the only way I could get back on air was just by completely resting my voice um, but it's been it's a huge privilege I mean honestly what how lucky I'm how lucky have I been you must be so excited for Tokyo 2021 I know uh, the synchronized swimmers who'll be going Kate and Izzy Ellie I've got to say they're the two loveliest girls in the world you must interview them they're so nice I went to school with both of them 
and they're just so nice to be around and I really hope they get the recognition they deserve they've been working really hard for it and best luck to them and you've sort of alluded to it here you've met greats of seemingly every sport in the world who's been the best player to interview in any sport and who's been maybe I'm not going to say the worst but who (laughs) has given you the most trouble interviewing who's made it most difficult for you I can't possibly tell you that, can I, Dom? Yeah, I really, you know, that's, I wouldn't be as impolite. It's much easier to to talk about people I, I've loved. I've loved interviewing. I mean, most of the cricketers I've, I've met and interviewed, I've enjoyed speaking to, and um, um, and got something special out of meeting them. And and there's a certain amount of, well, I mean, less less so now because you you just you don't take it for granted exactly, but you become more relaxed. So so when on Test Match Special I was working with Viv Richards, that was a huge pinch yourself moment because he is as charismatic as you would imagine he's he would be. Um, I've always loved uh, interviewing Denise Lewis. So we talk about great Olympic moments. I was in the Olympic Stadium in 2000 when she won her gold medal. Um, so she is one of my up. Uh, total heroes um I, I interviewed going back to the olympics as well 1992 when linford christie won his gold medal um in the 100 meters you know you just think well that night in olympic terms he's the most famous man on the planet on the planet because it's the the big event obviously 100 meters so that was amazing and memorable but do you know it's funny actually because there are people some people who are so interesting to interview so I mean Kevin Peterson everyone has a view on Kevin Peterson um sat down with him not a few years ago actually now he wrote a book about batting um and interviewing him about batting was incredible you le- you learn so much he's such a big thinker on the game um and you know I say he is a, de- a divisive character but actually I'd talking to KP you just thought wow actually what a bright passionate bloke he is um but I, I always think that with KP, that if he played an individual sport rather than a team sport, he would have been one of the greatest sporting heroes we've ever had in this country um, because he wouldn't have had to worry about pesky teammates and, <laughs> and you know, being fitting into a, into a unit like that. But if he'd been a golfer, say, then actually I think he would have had a potentially a much longer career. Yeah, when, whenever I think of KP, the first thing that, well, the first sort of thing of him talking about cricket comes to mind is he did a, um, an a interview with Sky Sports talking about batting as well. And he always sort of says, oh, you've got to get your head towards the ball and came up with all of these sort of really sort of niche points that I, I'd never thought about before. And, and the second he says, them, it seems so obvious, but just the way that he, he words it and comes up with it is, is so impressive, really. Mm, yeah. I love Jimmy Anderson as well, of course, but I mean, everyone loves Jimmy. Yeah, and, and I don't need to see any more than that. Say any more than that, do I? Really, you know, <laughs> we love you, Jimmy. Yeah, now, Ellie, on to a a really important question. This one, this is this is huge. <laughs> Which ground has the best food for commentators? Edgbaston. Um, and and I could say Lords because Lords look after look after you very well as well. But people before I start, kind of got back into doing cricket as a regular thing because I had a few years away doing lots of Olympic things and and other other sports and not really doing cricket very much um but but when I got back on the on the circuit a few years ago people said oh Edgbaston just has the best buffet in the world I mean you know start you start the day I mean honestly if an, Ed, an Edgbaston test match I think I put on about a stone in weight every time I do it because you start off with the bacon brioche in the morning 
and and you can but but that's not the only thing so you could have a bacon brioche and you could have pastries and you can have fruit salad and you can have a smoothie you know you could so you just you can eat your all your calories for the day at breakfast but then of course lunch comes around and there's a curry buffet and there's a roast and there's salads and then you once you've you know not recovered you haven't recovered from breakfast by the time you have lunch and so then you've got the two hours afternoon session where you probably had a little snooze if you've had the chance to do that oh and there's the sweets dispenser as well so if you feel hungry for any reason you knit downstairs and you get yourself a handful of sweets um and then of course there's the tea interval um and and so you then you then you got your scones you've then got your sandwiches you know um and at the close of play there's uh, pies oh, so there's a lot of food at Edgbaston. <laughs> We're doing this, listener, at lunchtime. I mean, Toby, if I'd say we both look a bit tired. And what Ellie has just done there is almost like J.K. Rowling when she like wrote all those books about how the feast would appear. It's not fair. I'm going to be honest. That was not needed. We didn't need. We just wanted a straight answer, and you've made us feel so hungry now. Well, I know. I mean, the Edgbaston Bush buffet is like the Hogwarts um, yeah. feast. You're quite right. It is exactly like that. It just food just keeps on coming, and you know, and you, you have to have the a will of steel to stop yourself. <laughs> just stuffing your face and then stuffing your pockets with pies at the close of play as well. Because <laughs> then, you know, you know if, and normally if I, I'm staying in a hotel in the evening and you then you then go out for dinner in the evening and go for a, a car. Oh, I just, I, actually, I do feel slightly sick now I'm saying this. But <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're going to have to move away from food because for my sake, really, because I'm feeling quite peckish and we're still quite <laughs> interested in You've, like you said there, you've gone to Olympics and you host live shows like Inside the Track inside tracks sorry and you're sort of all over major sporting stories how difficult is it um I've always loved this about great hosts like Des Lynham and Mark Chapman and Dan Walker they're so, so adaptable and yourself obviously to all manner of sports whether that be rugby league whether that be cricket and you've hosted the Winter Olympic Games in Sochi and you have to talk about the Swedish luge team and then in a few weeks time you have to talk about the West Indies batting problems how difficult is that and how much preparation goes into just one show maybe mm. well you I mean a lot of it is experience and the years you've spent covering things so you know so I have I've done I kind of lost track now seven seven summer Olympics and four winter Olympics so so if you've done judo you know, so I did judo in my first my first Olympics. So you kind of know roughly how it works, and then you go back and you you know you you get your current knowledge, and if there's been any rule changes in between. And I mean, there is a big difference between covering football, rugby, cricket, you know, the, the major sports, and then covering the Olympic sports because with football, you know, rugby, cricket, racing. Um, you're always kind of conscious that there are people out there who know way more than you do. So, you know, I kind of know quite a lot about cricket now, but I'm just conscious that there are an awful lot of people who are who are huge, huge cricket badgers and are ready to pull me up on any mistakes I make. Um, in some ways, it's almost easier to go and cover an Olympic sport because you are, you know, you, 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 you maybe start with a tiny amount of knowledge. So, you know, sort of imagine a very small amount of knowledge. Um, and you know that there are people out there who've got a massive amount of knowledge, but then most people who are going to be listening during the Olympics to, to Radio 5 Live also have that tiny amount of knowledge. So if you can reach the point by the time the games start when you've got that much knowledge, you know, kind of some medium amount, then you, you're hopefully not going to leave the people behind who've got that tiny amount of knowledge. You're going to make it accessible to them, but you're also not going to massively piss off the people who have a huge amount of knowledge, you know, mm -hmm. so... so 
that will you, you fall somewhere in the, in the middle. Um, so it, it, yeah, you you do you do do your you do do your prep. You you have to do your prep. You know you don't want to be exposed. You know we have producers as well who who are you know, at Five Live. We're very lucky. We've got brilliant producers who who will do research and will help you out and make sure that you're you're properly briefed beforehand. Um, and actually, also when it comes comes to the Olympics, we, there's a team of researchers who work for BBC Sport who do this thing every year called the Bible. Um, and and the Bible has a section on each sport, and in that is the you know the history of that sport. So the history of judo, for example, the key things that you should know, the key facts you should know about about the sport, you know the rules of the game, the the world picture, you know who's good that year, um, and and a team GB from a team GB point of view, you know who the leading contenders are. So yeah, I mean. I could pretend that it's all me, but it's it's an awful lot of people who are, who do an awful lot of hard work all the time to make sure that we're well briefed. The Bible sounds like a great book. And mm. is there any chance that could maybe be published? Because that would do so well. Like in the years of Olympics, when everyone's trying to pretend like they know what's going on and they like they understand uh, the common man pretends like he understands water polo. Has that ever been thought about being published? Um, I think probably not, um, I, because I, I suspect, you know, there are amazing authors who've written books like that. There, there's always a book that comes out every year, which is the, you know, your ultimate guide to the Olympics for that particular year. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, you know, the, as I say, the aim is to try and just, just be that little bit ahead of the audience. I've, I've heard teachers say this as well, that, you know, that, that the curriculum changes quite a lot. So if you can just be one step ahead of your pupils then then you're probably going to do all right but um but it's it's um yeah I mean I, I love it and you're learning so much all the time and say you know I mean I've been watching cricket for what did I say 45 years um and there's still so much out there that I don't know and so much that I want to learn about the game and every time I go and watch a game of cricket I think wow I didn't know that and right you know make a mental note of that and it's one of the things that I love about it why it's the best sport for me is because it's there there are so many layers to it and so many levels that you can appreciate it on as well so so you know and and it can seem daunting but actually I don't think it is daunting really if you can just appreciate the pleasure of watching I don't know um Carlos Brathwaite walloping sixes off Ben Stokes you know, <laughs> or Ben Stokes walloping sixes off Pat Cummings yeah then then that's that's a that's a visceral way of appreciating it, it doesn't have to be complicated yeah you really put it well there um we've talked about how you've been to so many different events so many different standards and to so many different countries out of all the stadiums in the world what had the best atmosphere oh that's a really that's a really really good question I mean every Lots of stadiums have different atmospheres on on different days, and I think the the atmosphere at well, I mean, I'm, I just kind of close my eyes now, and I'm transported back to Lords on World Cup final day in 2019, and just that hum and buzz. It was a noise like I'd never heard at Lords before. Just this disbelief and this just kind of un people not saying what are we witnessing? You know, what is a super over? I no, I no idea what's about to happen now. And actually it was a similar thing as well for the, for the women's world cup final in 2017, because that was a different noise because they, you know, threw it open to a lot of young, I, mean, I was going to say young girls, but young kids generally. So there was this slightly more high pitched buzz of excitement and, um, and, you know, that, that moment when, you know, Anya Shrubsole 
takes that final wicket and everything goes totally bonkers. Yeah. Um, but but also that the Headingley final day as well, or the Headingley fourth day in 2019. So so I mean these are all kind of quite recent examples. Um, that they were just unforgettable, you know, hairs on the back of your neck standing up moments because, and 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 I think you should all always. Also, and the great danger as well in, in sports broadcasting is you have your headphones on the whole time. Um, and to be able to, so the noise is, is, is muffled. And actually I remember going to the Millennium Stadium, uh, was it then was Prince, Principality Stadium now in Cardiff, the Six Nations games with the roof on and Wales and um, Ireland battling it out for the Grand Slam. And thinking I've just got to, and being on pitch side and having to take my headphones off and listening to the, unbelievable noise that that stadium makes when it's completely rocking and the roof is on so you know it's just a few examples of amazing noise and feeling wow you know this is the best job in the world yeah on on the topic of the women's world cup final i think my favorite fact i've seen around that is uh is that it's the most cups of tea ever sold in i think possibly sports match history like ever <laughs> which I think just shows the, the different people who went to, to that match. Yeah, and, and the, the gin bar didn't do quite so well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and then so just the final question to finish off, Ellie. Um, if you could relive any day of cricket you've experienced, what day would it be and, and why? I keep wanting to go back to 2019, I suppose, because it's so it's so close in the memory and it's and it's it's so precious as well because it we little did we know what was to come the following year, you know, that, that we would have that that moment of um you know just sheer joy and and love of the game um and that we were going to be deprived of it again for so long i think because also some of the great moments you know so the world cup final i, I think it's going to have to be the world cup final in 2019 because to be there all day was amazing but it wasn't particularly enjoyable until Joss Butler <laughs> ran out Martin Guptill. Um, and, you know, so, so, so to watch it, to, to be there and live through it again and to say, it's all right, it's okay, it's going to be fine. It's all going to be fine in the end. You know, it, 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 you know we, we, and we love Martin Guptill and Jimmy Neesham, but don't worry <laughs> about it. But, it's, it's, you know, but, but just to appreciate just the, the mind-blowing moment, you know, when Trent Bolt stands on the boundary rope, you know, and, and um, so, so actually to, to, to enjoy that without the tension involved would be really fantastic um and there's a few days which i've appreciated and you just think well actually if, if we could just change things very slightly and you know <laughs> make it so um you know england won the test match in adelaide where jimmy bowled brilliantly with the pink ball and joe root came so close and it was just those tiny fine margins that games turn on um but um yeah, I know. I, I I should I should sort of be saying, oh, I'll go back to 1981 and Headingley and you know Ian Botham and Bob Willis and you know, but I, I wasn't I wasn't there for that. Um, but yeah, that's that's I mean a, a, another epic moment. And yeah, we miss Bob as well. What a great man he was. Yeah, he really was. I think I think there's just been so many amazing cr cricket matches, Test matches, ODIs, T20s mm -hmm. in in the past few years in particular, but but in the whole of history as well that. That there's, there would be so many different different places you could go go back and see an unbelievable day's play. And so that is that's all we've got time for. I'm afraid, guys, that has been a fantastic interview. We, Ellie, we've enjoyed having you on so much. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, it's a pleasure to talk to you guys. Really enjoyed it. And and good luck. Good luck with everything.
Okay, thank you so much. Yeah, so guys, just a reminder, our Instagram and Twitter, we've got at StickyWicket underscore URN and URN StickyWicket. Go and give it a follow. Um, it's actually also award-winning, the URN <laughs> awards last night, bronze award in that as well. And we've got so many exciting podcasts to come, so keep, keep an eye out for them. We've got the diversity special with the University of Nottingham ladies team. We've got uh, another episode with the men's team as well coming on. And hopefully Ian Cobain, the Gloucestershire player, is, is going to be coming on as well. So we've got so much, um, so many new podcasts coming out, as well as obviously the cricket that will keep coming, the IPL, the current England series in India and, and all over the world. There's so much still going on. So thank you guys for listening. Go well. Go well. Cheers. Cheers. This is URM. This is URN.